to encourage him, and he says this, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before so many witnesses. I mentioned this at the beginning of the service, but Paul didn't say fight the fight. He didn't say fight the bad fight. He used a word on purpose. He said fight the good fight. And here's the truth about fighting. The only fight that is good is one that you win. There are two boxers at the end of every fight, and only one of them thinks it was a good fight. Only one of them is standing up saying it was a real good fight, and it's the guy that won. Fighting a good fight means you won it. Fighting a good fight means you are the winner. And as a believer, here is the good, good, good news. I mentioned this just a few weeks ago. I'm going to say it again several times during this message, during this series. But this fight is good because not only will you win, you are the predetermined winner because of Jesus. You are the winner because of what he has done and put on the inside of you and because of who the fight is against. And we're going to get into that. We are going to get into that. This is not about predestination. This is not about God being in control of everything like we're just a bunch of puppets because that is not the case. Right? God has given us free will. Otherwise, we would never know love. We know God is love, which means if we didn't have free will and free choice, we could never actually know God. He has given us free will, free choice. He does not control everything. In fact, he gave us the authority on the earth. Right? He gave us the authority. He told us to run the earth. So now it is up to us to go out and do what he said, walk in the authority he told us to walk in. And here's the truth. As we are walking this, this life, as we are running this race, as we are fighting this fight, if you don't quit, you win. Isn't that good news? And I, I'm just saying a lot right now, but I'm going to get into scriptures and I'm going to get into some stuff. And I believe this is really going to encourage us. This is a good fight because you are the predetermined winner. If you don't quit, you win. Why? Why is that? Listen, who's the fight against? There is an enemy out there. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? We believe that? There is an enemy out there. There is a devil. He comes with a purpose that has still kill and destroy. And if he's not out there fighting us, then we live in a fallen world that just by the nature of a fallen world, we get fault sometimes, right? Yeah. Sometimes age is fighting us. Sometimes health is fighting us. Sometimes our employer is fighting us. Sometimes the economy is fighting us. Sometimes there are fights that we face. There are fights that we face in the natural and there is a spiritual fight with an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's the thing about him. He has no authority. He can only steal, kill, and destroy if you give him that place. He is a defeated enemy. Jesus defeated him on the cross. In fact, one of my favorite pictures in the Bible is where Paul says that Jesus went to hell for three days and made an open show of the devil. That's in Romans. That was a military term, and when a king would, or when a military would make an open show of a king, it was after they had defeated a king in a kingdom in a battle, the commander of the army would strip the king naked and tie him up and parade him through his own kingdom as a defeated enemy. It was called making an open show of the king. 
Paul used that term in Romans when he said Jesus made an open show of the devil for three days in hell. He didn't go to hell to get tormented. He wasn't tormented. He was tormented on the cross. He was beaten on the cross for us. When he went to hell, he went to hell as the victor. He went to hell as the spotless lamb that took the punishment for us. And he made an open show of the devil for those three days. And to this day, the only authority he has over us is when we open the door and say, come on in. And we could talk about how we do that. It's a whole other message. But I am going to talk about how if you don't quit, you win. When he's throwing lies at your face, when he's throwing guilt and condemnation on you, when he's talking loud, if you don't quit, you win. Why? Because you have the word on the inside of you. Because you got the word on the inside of you, and it is an unbeaten word. We have a Savior who lives right now as the champion over life and over death and over sin and over the grave. And John chapter 1 verse 1 says that in the beginning he was there, right? He, he was there as the Word. John 1, 1 says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was, well, let's just read. In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. This is talking about Jesus. It's referring to him as the word of God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light. John was sent to tell about Jesus, to prepare the way, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That light was Jesus. The word is Jesus. When we put this on the inside of us, when we read it, listen, the Holy Spirit dwells, lives on the inside of every believer within us. We believe that probably every branch of Christianity, every denomination believes that. We teach it in Sunday school. Where does Jesus live? In my heart. The Holy Spirit dwells in us when we believe on Jesus. When we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of us. The Word dwells on the inside of us. It also exists right here on the outside of us. And when we get to know it and we put it in our mind and we know this backwards and forward and we understand what it's saying and who it says we are. Don't forget that the book of James calls this our spiritual mirror. When we get to know this, we get to know who we are. And when we understand what that means to have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, you're never going to be in danger of quitting. You're never going to be in danger of stepping outside of the ring because you'll have no reason to. You'll know that you are just as undefeated as Jesus if you just keep standing in that ring. So Jesus was the Word. And here we have Him speaking in John chapter 14, 16 through 17. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. This is talking about the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him, because he lives with you now, and later will be in you. That later happened on the day of Pentecost. And now that we live as New Testament Christians, that later happens in you the second you say yes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. And you might not feel any different when you get saved. You might can remember the moment you got saved right now. 
Some people have an awesome encounter that something happens physically. They, they feel a change. They feel, I don't know, goosebumps or something. They get excited. They walk out of that moment thinking differently, acting differently. And sometimes, like in my case, I don't even remember the day I got saved. I was a little kid. Uh, but I, obviously nothing major happened in the natural, right? But that doesn't mean something didn't happen in the spirit. Just because I don't feel something in the natural doesn't mean something didn't happen in the spirit. The word says that flesh things are flesh and spirit is spirit. Something happens to you the day you get saved, even if you don't feel something different. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. The word of God, the very word. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one in John chapter 1 verse 1. calls Jesus the living word. And he has been with you since the day you said yes to him. And how about this in Isaiah 55, verse 11? I know this is a lot of scripture, but just stick with me here. Isaiah 55, verse 11. It is the same with my word. This is God speaking through his prophet Isaiah. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I sent it. What did we just read? But Jesus said, I'm going to send this to you. And I'm going to put this on the inside of you. And that word that's on the inside of you will not return void. That word on the inside of you that says you are a winner, not a loser. The head, not the tail. Above, not below. A lender, not a borrower. Blessed according to his riches. Healed by the stripes of Jesus. Sanctified by the blood of Jesus. The righteousness of Christ is now applied to you. You can do all things through Christ. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living on the inside of you. The power to heal the sick dwells within you. The power to authority over the demonic dwells within you. And it will not return void. So what am I getting at here? I'm getting at what the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm going to just say this this way. So take it the way you will. I hope you hear what I'm saying. He's not as concerned with taking you out as he is with taking the word out of you. Too many people fall into this trap. Always trying to take me out. He's trying to take me out. Really, he's just trying to take the word from you. Because if you are a believer walking around without the word activated in your life, he could care less about you. In fact, if you're a believer without the word activated on the inside of your life, living a whole lot more like the world than like a believer, you might be doing a little bit more damage than good. He might just let you free. Just go do your thing now. If you're a believer that doesn't know the word, just go do your thing. Because there's a lot of believers out there, and I do believe they are Christians, really tearing down the church's reputation, living a lot like the world. It's because the, it's not because they don't have Jesus. It's because they don't got the word activated in their life. It's because they don't really understand what this is saying when it talks about love your enemy and love your neighbor and love your brother. We got Christians that don't understand that love is kind. Too many people concerned about being right. Jesus was more concerned about being kind than right. Man, love does not demand its way. We got too many Christians out there demanding you see it my way and do it my way. But love does not demand its way. That's in 1 Corinthians 13. And you know what? If you open your eyes, you'll see it from the very beginning. 
from the very beginning. In fact, the first miracle, Mary looks at Jesus and says, hey, I need you to get some wine at this party because they're out of wine. Asking for a miracle. And what does Jesus, the Son of God, God himself says to Mary, my time hasn't come. And then he turned the water into wine. In other words, God himself said, this isn't my way, but I'm going to do it for you. That is mind-blowing. In the Old Testament, God was going to destroy the children of Israel. And Moses stands up in the book of Exodus and says, wait a second, you freed them and you promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. And God, out of his own mouth in every translation of the Bible, says, you've changed my mind. I won't destroy them now. I'll save them. And That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. If more Christians knew the word, the church would not have the bad reputation it has in some circles. There is no replacement for the word, and that's what I'm getting at. The enemy is trying to steal the word from your life. He's trying to kill the part of you that looks to the word for guidance and, and, and for encouragement. And he is trying to destroy your relationship with the word of God. He's got people believing. He's got Christians believing that this is outdated, uh, that the things that are said in here are, are, are too old to apply to this life, that they weren't interpreted the right way, that they're not translated the right way. And here's the thing. And there's not one part of this that's not supposed to be there. I believe it with all my heart. And if you have a relationship with this, you believe it too. The people that don't, don't have a relationship with this. There is no replacement for the word. The enemy is in, out there trying to steal that from your life. He's trying to steal it by putting guilt and condemnation on you. He's trying to steal it by saying, first of all, you don't deserve it. First of all, God is not speaking to you when he says you're the head not to tell because your past is too bad, because you've made too many mistakes, because your Sunday morning, uh, September 5th, 2021, was too bad, so everything he's saying in this service is actually not for you. That's called guilt, that's called condemnation, and it is a bad road, and it is one of the ways you open yourself up to give the enemy authority in your life that he doesn't have. Jesus, when he took our sin, took the punishment, took the guilt, took the condemnation on himself, so that we can live free from that. So that we can live free from that stuff that weighs us down, holds us back, and convinces us that we don't have on the inside of us what we have on the inside of us. And in the middle of a fight, nothing is going to weigh you down more than guilt and condemnation. In fact, it's the reason a lot of people quit. I'm too far gone. Have you ever, I, I bet you we've all experienced this, and here's why we do it. Here's why we give in as humans, not Christians. Here's why humans carry so much guilt. And one of the reasons, one of the things that happens because we carry so much uh, guilt condemnation, this feeling of not being worth, worth something or worthy of something. Uh, have you ever received a gift that was just extravagant and you didn't feel like you deserved it? How many times have you tried to turn it away? No, 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 don't do this for me. I don't. I did nothing to deserve this. I did nothing to earn this. We've all been there, right? There is something on the inside of us as humans. It's built into us that we need to earn what we receive. 
We need to pay for it. I mean, just the culture of our world tells us we have to pay for it. You can't turn your water on without paying for it. Drive down the street. You got to pay for every benefit in life. It is ingrained into us. So, so many times, even in the natural, somebody's giving us a gift and our response is, no, 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 I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. Uh, please, please, you can't do this. Well, I'm grateful that we've had people in our lives that are persistent and won't let us reject what they're trying to give us. It's been a huge blessing in our life, uh, just even from our parents on. But we do the same thing with Jesus. We do the same thing with God where he says, I've given you all of this because of Jesus. You have access to every promise. You have access to every part of the Holy Spirit. Nobody gets saved and gets 30% of the Holy Spirit or 70% or even 99%. You get 100% of the Holy Spirit. And 100% of the promises in this book are for you and even resident on the inside of you. But the enemy is trying to get you through guilt and condemnation to say, I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. No, no, no. Take it back. And when the devil's in your face saying, who are you to walk up to that person and pray for them and to tell them Jesus loves them? You got so much in your life. You go get right. I believe the enemy is the one saying this phrase to you. You go get right with God and then go minister to that person. Here's why I believe he's saying that to you. Because you're already right with God if you're a believer. you got nothing to go get right before him if you are a believer. Sometimes we got some actions we need to get in line. Let's just put it that way. Sometimes we got some mess that we need to take care of. But between you and God, the price has been paid and the way has been cleared. What of your sins do you think Jesus didn't take on the cross? Do you think he took everything but your addiction? Do you think he took everything but your bad attitude? Do you think he took everything but fill in the blank? The answer is no. And here's another question. We have a father and a God in heaven who does not live in time as we know it. Do we not believe that he's the Alpha and Omega? That he's already seen it all? Do we believe he's already seen the beginning to the end? So then we're telling you, uh, so, 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 so there's people out there that are telling you and trying to tell me that he didn't cover everything when he died for us. But let me tell you, your sins, past, present, and future, he already knew about him when he died for you. In fact, if you want to look at just time in and of itself, all your sins were future sins when Jesus died for your sins 2,000 years ago. You got people out there teaching this weird thing that, you know, you've been forgiven of, of things once you get saved, but then once you get saved, he can forgive you of that stuff. You got to go back to him and, and beg and plead and get on your knees and hope he makes you right again. All your sins were future sins when he died for you. And guess what? The God that knows the beginning from the end saw your entire life and still died for you. Still took that stuff to the grave, but the enemy is going to be in your face as often as you'll let him, telling you, you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, that word's not for you, and it makes you an ineffective minister of the gospel. It cripples you. It's not even just taking you out of the game in your own life. It's taking uh, all these opportunities away from, from you that the Lord's opening doors for you to go minister to people because you're too busy with guilt and shame. The enemy has done the one thing he can do, which is convince you you're not worth it. 
But you are. Jesus knew you from beginning to end. He knew every moment of your life and he died for you. That was his choice. I, told, I was talking this week with somebody and I said, you know what I love to do? I love to read the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we know Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Did he not say that? He said that. I love reading the gospels and putting myself in the story. When Jesus disperses the crowd and says, let he who's perfect cast the first stone at the lady, prostitute, adulteress, caught in the middle of it. And the guy, remember, Jesus was God. So God, who wrote the law of the Old Testament, which says a person is worthy of death when they're caught in adultery, says if you're perfect, cast the first stone. Everybody drop their stones. Jesus, the one perfect person there that could have thrown a stone, didn't even pick one up. I like to put myself in that story. I like to picture myself as that person right there laying on the ground and Jesus looking at me and saying, where are your accusers? They're gone and I don't condemn you either. I like to put myself in that tree with Zacchaeus, a known thief. And Jesus looks up at me and doesn't say, get right. He didn't look up at me and say, restore everything you've stolen. He looked up at Zacchaeus and remember, I'm putting myself in this story. And he just said, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house. We're going to eat. We're going to have a good time. And then just being with Jesus, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give back everything I've stolen. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Notice he didn't even say, get saved first. And then I'm coming to your house. He just went to his house. Yeah. I like to put myself in the story. I like to, to put myself in the story of Peter. When Jesus, at the time of his greatest need physically, he has to watch Peter deny him three times. And I like to put myself in that position because I've denied Jesus. And I like to put myself in that, that, that moment when he's sitting by the fire and he just says, do you love me? Do you love me? And completely restores Peter. trying to steal the word from you. He's trying to do it through guilt and shame. And he's trying to do it. Here's this, another way. There's lots of ways, but we're going to talk about two. He's trying to do it by convincing you that your fight, this good fight, is against somebody it's not against. He's trying to convince you that your fight is a natural fight against somebody else. Another person or a group of people or anybody made of flesh and blood. If he can convince you that your fight is against somebody else, he's setting you up. Why is that? Because here we go. I'm going to read the scripture for you. Ephesians 6, 12. We are not fighting against flesh. Remember, this is Paul, the same guy that wrote about the good fight. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We wrestle not, it says in the King James, against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. If your fight in your mind is against anybody made of flesh and blood, that's a losing fight. You've already lost. Your fight as a believer is against powers and principalities. That's why you're the predetermined winner, because you already have the authority over powers and principalities. 
God didn't give you the victory over a person. He gave you victory over powers and principalities. He didn't give you victory over a group of people. He gave you the victory over a group of powers and principalities that don't line up with the Word of God. So how do we treat our physical enemies then? We love them. Doesn't that get you excited? You get to love them. You get to love them. Psalms 23 says he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I, I don't so much think of that anymore as a bunch of enemies standing around having to watch me down at the table. I picture that now as a table with my enemies. At the table, enemies become friends. At the table, enemies become something better than that. Jesus set a table. And at times, there was only 12 other guys sitting at it. One of them was Matthew, the guy that worked for the Roman government, collecting taxes. And right beside him sat Simon the Zealot, who was a government protester. He was the dude on the streets of the courthouse, on the steps of the courthouse, screaming, Matthew has no right to take your taxes if you're Jewish. Jesus prepared a table and sat him right there with each other. Never leaned into one and said, hey, I'm on your side. Never leaned into the other guy and said, hey, I'm on your side. He just prepared a table and two enemies sat there at it for three years and ate. Love your enemies and know that you have power and victory over powers and principalities. Now, sometimes your enemies can be operating in certain spirits and certain things that we do have authorities over as believers, but even then, our battle is not against them. It's against the powers, the principalities, the demonic forces that are encouraging them. And maybe it's not even demonic. Maybe it's just even the world system behind them. We have authority over it. We don't live in that system. We live in God's economy. If you are under the impression your fight is against flesh and blood, that is a losing fight. Offense is a big indicator. Boy, if you get offended at somebody, it's a good indication you're in the flesh. If that comes out of your mouth or pops into your head, I'm in the flesh. Your spirit is unoffendable by anything made of flesh and blood. Jesus was offended once in the Bible. And he says, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to be raised from the dead. Peter, one of his best friends, steps in and says, no, we'll fight for you. And Jesus looks at his best friend and says, you have offended me. Get behind me, Satan. Again, he spoke to the powers and principalities behind what Peter did. His fight wasn't with Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. The only other time you really see Jesus operating in what could be defined as offense is when he is speaking to the religious people or turning over tables of the religious thieves. And then, again, his offense was because of the spirit of religion, not the actual people. He loved the people. So love the enemies and know that your fight's against powers and principalities. If you cannot be convinced that your fight is against something made of flesh and blood, that word is going to stay active on the inside of you. And if you don't quit, you win. And if you remind the enemy that there is no guilt or condemnation for a believer because Jesus paid the price for you, then that guilt and condemnation doesn't come in and lock that word down. That word stays active. Remember, I believe it's Ephesians 3.20, that he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond through you according to the power working in you. Yeah. Keep the power of the word working in you by pushing away guilt and shame. By remembering your fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities you already have authority over. And there's not going to be anything inside of you that says it's time to get out of the ring. It's time to quit. 
You're going to stay in it. If you don't quit, you win. It's called resisting the devil. James 4, 7 says that when you submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. And keeping the word active on the inside of you, that's submission. And resisting the enemy with the truth, he will flee. That is good news. If you don't quit, you got a word on the inside of you that God sent to the inside of you, and he says it will not return void. So here is how I want to close this, and you're going to hear me say this a lot during this series. I've already said it a couple of times today, but I'm going to elaborate just a little bit. There is no replacement for the word in your life. Not prayer, not worship. Neither one are replacements for the word. What do I mean by that? Prayer is an awesome thing. It is a vital part to our relationship with God. Paul says in Philippians, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. And His peace will flood your heart, right? Tell Him what you need. Pray about everything. But here's the thing. Thank Him for what He's done. You know what Paul was talking about? What He has already done for you through the cross, through his death, through his resurrection that is in here, front to back, cover to cover. You've got to know this to be able to thank him for what he's already done. We're not talking about, I mean, it's great to say thank you for waking me up today. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my family. That's great. What has God done for you? Jesus has already done everything for you. That's why he said it is finished. You've got to know what it is. A whole part of that verse to get peace operating in your life is to thank him for what this says. You've got to know what it says first. I texted somebody. Well, I had several conversations this week. And here's, what they, here's how they go. So if this sounds familiar, it's for good reason. Take it for what it is. This is not, again, condemnation. This is an invitation to, to change something in your life. It's an invitation to go on a journey with us together as a community. I've had this text a whole lot in these past few weeks. Hey, pray for me. I need some peace. Pray for me this anxiety goes. Pray for me this peace goes away. I'm sorry. Pray for me the anxiety goes away. Pray for me for peace. Pray this peace leaves me. Well, here's my response. Is that to one per person specifically, I said, listen, I'll pray for you. And I'll pray with you. But prayer is not going to do it. Prayer might, I I've had moments where I've been in heavy anxiety and I've prayed, and someone's prayed for me, and I've felt some relief. And that's awesome. But do you know what gives permanent relief? Do you know what actually gets rid of the actual root of fear is the Word. It's the Word. It's got to be the Word. I've actually said this phrase two different times this week, and walk out of here if you don't like it, and just call me a heretic. But I've told two people, you pray too much. You pray too much. You need to stop and replace some of your prayer time with the word at the very least. Yeah. It's so important. It is the reason. Prayer is an overflow of this. This is your relationship with Jesus. Prayer and worship are the overflow of your relationship. If there's no relationship, do we even know what we're praying? Do we even know who we're worshiping? Yeah. I'm telling you, the, there is no replacement for the word. Am I saying we shouldn't pray? Am I saying we shouldn't worship? Absolutely not. Y'all know I love worship. Man, I, there's some Sunday mornings I like, think, man, should I even go up there? Maybe we should just worship. Woo. 
but there's just no replacement for the word. It's like when you're training as an athlete. I mean, you might have the body, you might have a, I mean, you might be strong, right? You might have huge arms, big, strong guy. But if you don't know some of the fundamentals of baseball, you know, it doesn't matter how strong you are if you can't put the bat on the ball. It doesn't matter how tall you are if you can't put the ball through the hoop in basketball. It doesn't matter how big you are if you don't know how to line up and not get a false start as an NFL player. There are multiple parts to these games. You've got to be strong. You've got to have that part. You also have to have the knowledge of what to do or you will be an ineffective, big, strong guy wasting talent. Yeah. And as a believer... Man, if you don't know the word and all your relationship with God, it only involves prayer and worship, you are missing a huge part of your relationship with Jesus. There is no replacement for the word. And it is so easy to get the word and put it on the inside of you. Easier than ever. Lisa spends most mornings getting kids ready for school. You know what she's doing? She's got the Bible on even audio. She's just got the audio Bible playing from her phone. She's listening to the word as she's getting kids ready for school, as she's packing lunches. Man, wake up 15 minutes early and just read about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do a reading to the Bible in a year plan. You've got to get to know the word. James calls this your mirror because if you don't look in it, you don't even know who you are as a believer. You don't know the authority you have. And let me tell you, do you want your prayer life and your worship life more electrified than ever? Get to know the word. Get to know the word. There is no replacement. Fear, the root of fear, overcoming that in your life takes the word, not prayer. Prayer is a great part. It's an important thing. Not trying to take any importance away from it. You've got to have the word. It's called the foundation. It's the foundation. If you tried to build a house without putting the foundation, eventually the walls would fall. Eventually the roof would cave in. This is the foundation. This is the foundation. Maybe prayer of the walls. Maybe the roof is worship. You know, we could keep on going with that metaphor. But the foundation is the word. It's all important. You need walls. You need a good roof. But you have to have a foundation. If you're dealing with fear and anxiety, if every time you get a news report, you're wondering and trying to figure out what's going to happen when, when things shut down and when this goes wrong and when that goes wrong, whatever it is, if fear and anxiety are a part of your life, word, go to the word. Go to the word. If you have prayer time with the word every day but not word time, man, just take part of that prayer time and open the word. If you have worship time, take part of it and add the word to it. If you want to listen to worship when I'm driving to work, listen to the audio Bible. There's probably one where like James Earl Jones is reading. That'd be awesome. Or Morgan Freeman. That'd be great. Somebody with those awesome voices. Like, is there a James Earl Jones one? Is there, is there a Bible where Darth Vader's reading the Bible? That'd be awesome. I almost just made a Jesus, I am your father joke, but I didn't. <laughs> I am your father. Or Mufasa, too. He was Mufasa. Mufasa reading the Bible. That'd be a good one. Some of you would get saved if Mufasa read you the Bible.
man. Jesus is the living word. And he lives on the inside of you. Every promise. It is like a deposit was made. And if you don't know how to withdraw from that account, you're not operating in everything he's given you. How do you know how to make a withdrawal? You gotta know what he put in there. This is what he put on the inside of you. Every promise, every detail, everything he says you are, you are. Everything he says you have, you have. You gotta know what it is and you have to withdraw and you do that by getting to know this, having a relationship with this. The good fight, this whole series, is gonna be a whole lot of encouragement of putting the word in your brain on a daily basis. Uh, Romans 12, 2, it talks about renewing your mind to the word. And if you don't, Paul says, then you will conform to this world. So if you see the world acting in a lot of fear, and you find yourself in a lot of fear as well, it is a good indication you have not been renewing your mind to the word. He didn't say renew it through prayer or worship. Renew it to the word. Yeah. If the world's going one way and you're going right with them, it's a good indication you need to renew your mind more and more. You will not conform to the world as you renew your mind to the word. Amen? Yeah. Well, come on, let's all stand together. Get the band back up just for a moment. I got lots of scriptures and things I didn't get to today, which of course will make their way probably into some of the rest of this series. But I say this quite a bit. If you want my notes with lots more scripture references, and I had a whole little section today talking about the actual authority that we have on the inside of us. It is laid out for us. I mean, when Jesus said, go heal the sick, go cast out demons, he wasn't just saying, for the next week, you now have the ability to go do this. No, he was showing us as New Testament believers the kind of authority we have at our disposal every second of every day. But I got lots of other scriptures. Just send me a message. I'll send you some notes. You can read them. You can get to know them. But let me just encourage you again. This is not supposed to be guilt or condemnation saying you haven't been doing this feel bad, feel bad, no this is an invitation to a lifestyle of getting to know the word and go home, open your Bible I used to tell this to the youth group a lot when we were youth leaders, I'm going to tell it to you guys if you don't know where to start start with the gospels and there's going to be a voice out there if you read a chapter or two there's going to be a voice out there that says you only read two chapters you can only spend five minutes in here. You should feel bad. That's the wrong voice. There's another voice out there saying, oh man, you just spent five minutes in the Word. I can change the entire world with that. I can change your entire life with that. One moment, one second, one minute with the Lord is enough to change an entire lifetime. So this is not guilt or condemnation. Open up the Bible. Start to read. Start to have a relationship with Jesus through that Word daily.